following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. All right. We are in a series going through our statement of faith. If you were here three or four weeks ago, we went through an initial kind of presentation of the entire thing. And now we've been going one paragraph at a time just so we could take a Sunday morning to settle into particular topics because there's a lot to say. So today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Here is our statement of faith on the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells believers, confirming their salvation and enabling them to bear godly fruit. We believe that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is the source of all power and all acceptable worship and service. The Holy Spirit also empowers believers to have a bold and effective witness. So he manifests his gifts in their daily lives for the edification of the church and as a testimony to the world. He never removes himself from the church. He is always testifying of Christ. He is always seeking to focus believers on Jesus, not on themselves, their gifts, or their experiences. So I want to go through this piece by piece. If you are interested in notes, because there's a lot of information, we ran out this morning, but I made a few extra. Uh, so there's a couple more back there on the table, and I can get some later as well if you need them after this. So here we go. So the Bible contains a lot of examples about how God reveals himself throughout human history. If you go to the Old Testament, you're going to see what I'm going to call instantiations. This is where God simply um, makes his presence known. So this is a pillar of fire. It's a cloud. It's at times what theologians call theophanies, which simply means it's a representation or the presence of Christ in a particular way. And a lot of verses in the Old Testament will talk about God being around his people or surrounding his people. It's not exclusive language. There's lots of things that God has described as in the Old Testament, but the focus is often on God is around us or surrounds us. When we get to the Gospels and the life of Jesus, now we move from this instantiation to incarnation. And we see this in the person of Jesus. And now you start to see more and more language that God is among us or God is with us. So Emmanuel that we often sing about at Christmas literally means God with us. It wasn't that God wasn't with us before, but now in the person of Jesus, there's a unique new way in which God is now among us. And then you start to see both in the Gospels and in Acts and then through the letters that are written after that, a lot of discussion of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. There's also language about Christ being in us, but you see now a lot more language about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Just to give an idea of this transition, in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples about the Holy Spirit, you know him for he dwells with you, that was currently, he dwells with you, and he shall be in you. So you see this language of, first of all, around or surrounding us, then God being with us, and then God being in us. And so once again, it's not like these were separate eras where that language is the only way God was present. You just see certain things are highlighted throughout the course of history as it's recorded in the Bible. So I would think of it perhaps as it's a symphony that's building to its crescendo where you clearly see all the parts now together and at work. So Scott talked a couple weeks ago about God being both transcendent and God being imminent. We see in the history of Scripture different ways in which a transcendent God becomes imminent. He's around us. He's with us. He's in us. All of that language still applies. But the New Testament 
gives a renewed kind of emphasis and a reminder that it's important that we remember God is within us. And the rest of this morning, actually, we'll be talking about why that is important for us. All right, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? Number one, the Holy Spirit is one of three persons or one essence in the, in the Trinity. If I make a mistake this morning and refer to the Holy Spirit as it, that is my bad, the Holy Spirit's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. We refer to the Holy Spirit as he. I'm going to give you two verses in Scripture that talk about the, the Trinitarian nature of God. The Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, but it will often use this language of three persons, one essence, all clumped together so that it's clear we're talking about God. The first is Matthew 28, verse 19, where we're baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second is Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. Note over these three verses how you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. You see that strong correlation it's God at work in you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, I like this quote from uh, Moody Bible Institute's website. The scriptures attest to the deity of the Holy Spirit. He's spoken of as God and is identified with the title of Jehovah. The Christian who is indwelt by the Spirit is indwelt by God. The Holy Spirit possesses the attributes of deity, such as omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, and eternality. And if you're not sure of those words, I'll look up Scott's sermon on our website from a couple weeks ago. He does works only God can do, such as creating, regenerating, and sanctifying. He is equally associated with the other members of the Trinity. So, the Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity. Number two, the Holy Spirit brings life. I want to go back to Genesis 1. There's a word in the Old Testament, ruach, I think if I would say it with a, like a, a good Jewish rabbi would say it, it would be a lot more guttural, I don't know, ruach. Ask Ken Scudder sometime to pronounce it for you. It's the breath or the spirit of God, and we see starting in Genesis 1 that it moves over the waters. And so we talked about this in this last year too, this imagery in Genesis of the world is chaotic and dark and dead and in desperate need of something to happen, and you have from the beginning that the Spirit of God, the Ruach, moves over this death and darkness and brings life and brings light. Then the Old Testament prophets will come around and say, there's more to come. You're going to see the coming Messiah who will also bring life where there is death and who will bring light where there is darkness. And it's fascinating to me that you see Jesus literally breathe on his disciples after his resurrection. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit, which in the Greek now is pneuma, or hagios pneuma, for Holy Spirit. And I suspect for Jesus' audience and for these disciples who were there, they're probably flashing back to Genesis 1. Oh, that's right. There, there was death and darkness and chaos, and the breath of the Spirit of God was breathed out and brought life, and then was breathed into Adam and brought life, and now here's Jesus, once again, the breath of God coming to them and bringing life. So just like God's breath brought physical life to Adam, Jesus' breath is bringing spiritual life to the children of Adam. And then we see that the Holy Spirit brings comfort, protection, counsel, conviction, guidance, 
regeneration. At the end of your notes, there's almost two pages of a small font of a list of all the things that the Holy Spirit brings to us. So I would just say this. If you've experienced times in your life when you were dead, and this could be you were far from Christ and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, or as a follower of Christ, you've been in seasons of your life where you're in the valleys of the shadow of death or life feels chaotic and you feel overwhelmed and you experience this regeneration, this newness, this calling you to Christ and pointing you toward the personal work of Jesus and reminding you that there's hope in the midst of despair, that there's life in the midst of death, that there's joy in the midst of sorrow. If you have experienced that, it's the Holy Spirit at work in you. That is God at work in you, breathing onto you and into you in this spiritual sense, life. Third point is that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into God's family. So the word used in the New Testament for baptism is baptismo. It has to do with immersion. It has to do if you take a cucumber and you immerse it in a brine and you pickle it. I also read another uh, example of this in Greek writing that I personally find entertaining, so I'm going to share it with you. If you're a fan at all of Greek mythology, there's a story of this dude named Odysseus who goes on this odyssey, and he gets to this island where there's a one-eyed giant called a cyclops, and he's kind of trapped in this island because this giant wants to eat him. Long story short, uh, Odysseus eventually takes this stake and he plunges, plunges it into the giant's eye to help him get away. And the word for when he plunges that stake into the giant's eye is baptizo. <laughs> okay, that was free. I just, that came up in my reading this week. But the idea that is, it is plunged into and immersed in something. This is the idea of baptism for us, that when we come to Christ, we are plunged into, we are immersed into life with Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit who does this. So we're baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, and we become something new. I mean, we're still us, right? But now, and I don't know what the spiritual equivalent of brine is, but we're, we're transformed. Now we are different than we were before. This last week, um, or yeah, week ago maybe, it doesn't matter because the timing is not the point of the story I'm about to tell. My wife has okra that is pickled, and I don't care for raw okra, and I really like fried okra, as you might imagine, but pickled okra, I discovered, is fantastic. There was something about dipping it in there and letting it seep up all of these things, absorb all these things. I have a lot of very chef-oriented words in my vocabulary. Um, but it was just different. It was delightful. And that's the idea of what the Holy Spirit does for us, immerses us into Christ, and we become something different. In addition, we are baptized into Christian community. First Corinthians says, we're baptized by one spirit to form one body. And I know we've said this before, but the Bible has no vision of Christians doing life alone. You're not only baptized into Christ, you're baptized into a local body of believers. I actually like this because it's more, I don't even see pickles, but you get the idea there's quite a variety of things in that jar. Think of church as the jar. There's a lot of us. What do we have in common now? We're very different. We come from all kinds of backgrounds. 
But what's common now is that we've been immersed in the same thing. We are soaking up the same thing. The Holy Spirit is working in us to bring us into community even as we are in Christ. So if you have a sense that church is beginning to feel like home, that there's a unity and there's a fellowship and it's not just Christ at work in you as an individual, but you're recognizing, man, Christ is at work in this church. This feels like spiritual family now. I'm, I'm able to be honest and transparent and I'm entering into this cycle of learning to repent and forgive and everything that goes with it. And man, church just feels like home. This is the Holy Spirit at work in you. This is the Holy Spirit at work in all of us. If that's, if that's the way church feels, that's the Holy Spirit at work in all of us. My fifth point is that the Holy Spirit indwells, I've got a lot more than three points today. The fifth point is that the Holy Spirit indwells and fills us. So, even though the New Testament uses language of Christ being in us, one of my favorite verses is that Christ in us is the hope of glory. The Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit indwells us and takes up residence in this temple, what the Bible refers to us now when we're followers of Jesus. So we're going to go back to Genesis again because I love themes in the Bible. Uh, John Walton makes the argument that when you read of the creation in Genesis 1, what God is doing is he is building a cosmos that is a temple for him to dwell in. And on day seven, he moves into his temple to rule and to reign. I think you see the same thing in salvation, that when we come to Christ, we become a temple and the Holy Spirit moves into us in, in a similar way to how God moved into the world. And this begins a continuous indwelling and a continuous filling. The course of the Christian life is, const, is one where constantly the Holy Spirit is at work in us, is active, and is moving. One of the results of this is that the Holy Spirit is the source of all acceptable worship and service. So when we talk about what it means to actually honor God with what we do, that's when what flows from us is the thing that's motivated by the Spirit and not by our works. And, and I just want to take a moment to say this. It, it's easy for us to look at people that we see, as far as we can tell, flourishing in the kingdom of God. And I just want to remind us, when people flourish in the kingdom of God, it is not because of their works. It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in them. When we see other people where that characterizes that, their life, it ought to draw out of us worship for God because God is the source of what's happening in them. And there's a separate conversation to have about the importance of spiritual disciplines and things like that. But even those, our source of strength for doing them is going to come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always gets the glory for our acceptable worship and service. I would suggest this is why we're able to have any kind of real success with life in Christ. So, if you've struggled with addictions, if you've struggled with emotions, if you've struggled with relational hang-ups, uh, anything in your life that is presenting a hurdle to you, you've struggled with that and you have found genuine success. I don't mean behavior modification. I mean you found genuine success. That's the Holy Spirit in you. That's not something that we take credit for. It's something that we thank God for because we never could have done it on our own. Number six, we claim that the Holy Spirit inspired scriptured writers and guides scripture readers. The classic verse for inspiring writers is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God 
There's this pneuma, this ruach idea once again, that the writers of Scripture, there was something going on in their lives where God breathed truth. Um, we're going to struggle for a human analogy for a supernatural work in someone to make sure that what they wrote, God was inspiring them to write. But then it also guides readers. If you've ever been reading a passage of Scripture and you think, I have no idea what this means. At odds are good, if you've been following God for any length of time at all, you're going to run into those passages. But then you, uh, you find good commentary. You talk with a friend, and it's insightful. You pray, and as you're praying, you, it, the pieces begin to kind of form this puzzle that you weren't able to see before. Um, you're listening to a podcast. You go to a Sunday school class. I think all of these are ways in which the Holy Spirit is responding to our request for understanding. And he's answering in ways that help us to understand Scripture. Number seven, the Holy Spirit strengthens us, specifically strengthens our prayers, our faith, and our obedience. The notes are full of Scripture references. I'm not going to say them all out loud this morning because I only have so many words I can say. But if you want to see the references for this, pick up notes or check the website Monday afternoon and notes will be up. I like the imagery of what happened with Moses when he was fighting a battle on behalf of God in the Old Testament. And as long as his arms were up, there was success. And when his arms fell, there wasn't. And so people come around him to hold his arms up so that this battle being fought for God is successful. I think that's the idea of what the Holy Spirit does for us helps us to fight, helps us to stand strong. And once again, I suspect this comes in a lot of ways. Sometimes it is we're praying, oh dear God, I do not have what it takes in this moment to fight this battle. I must have your help. And we experience this supernatural help. Sometimes I think we experience it through friends. We go, oh God, I need help um, living well in this area of my life. And God's like, talk to Bob. I put him there for you. Sometimes it's books we read, it's scripture that we turn to. There's lots of ways in which it happens. But when it happens and we get this strength to help us when we are weak, it's the Holy Spirit we have to thank. Number eight, the Holy Spirit enables our spiritual flourishing. So here I'm initially talking about our fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Bible uses a lot of language that you know people by their fruit. It uses the imagery of vineyards and orchards. It talks over and over about the fruit of people's lives. Then the writers of Scripture say that if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, there will be fruit, and this is what the fruit will look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it, it struck me this week how many of those are relational. Let's work, uh, so love, joy, those two seem to be fairly internalized. Peace, well, we're called to be peacemakers. But then especially patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those are all exercised in community. So remember, we're baptized into Christ and into community. Perhaps you see in this list, we're baptized into Christ, love, joy, peace. Beautiful fruit of that. We're baptized into community. Okay, the Holy Spirit's going to help us do community too. 
patience, kindheartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so once again, as we look at the life we do together in community, where we see these things become obvious, who gets the glory? God, yeah, God does. Yeah, we don't get the glory. If I'm more self-controlled today than I was 10 years ago, and I'd like to think I am, who gets the glory? Yeah, not me. God knows what I'd do on my own. If I am more patient now than I was five years ago, who gets the glory? If I am more kind-hearted now than I was last year, who gets the glory? Are we sensing the pattern? Okay, I think we have this tendency. And I'll be honest, I was expecting a more robust response from that because it wasn't a trick question. But I, I wonder sometimes if, if there's a little bit of pushback because I, I know that I want to think that if I'm more patient than I was a couple years ago, I have done the hard work of the spiritual disciplines and the you, uh, putting myself into accountability and asking my wife how I'm doing. And yeah, I've done those things. Sure, but why did I do those things? What empowered me to do those things? Holy Spirit. So even if I have reorganized my life to do things, at the end of the day, it's not from Anthony's willpower. It's Christ in me. It's the Holy Spirit at work in me. No matter how far back I go, who do I have to thank? It's not a trick question. Right? Who do I have to thank? So as we look around this room, and then I see some of you, I'm like, man, I really admire you for your patience, your kindheartedness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control. I really admire you. Um, thank God that God's Holy Spirit is at work in you because I also know you well enough to know you're not doing that on your own. Does this make sense? It's a countercultural way of thinking because we want to think of ourselves as being the ones who are capable to do it on our own. That's behavior modification. It might get you somewhere. But we're talking about something as Christians. We are believers that it is the Holy Spirit's work in our life that makes all these things possible. And at the end of the day, we don't get the glory Jesus does. Number nine, the Holy Spirit equips us. Oh, wait, I want to add one other thing about number eight, the Holy Spirit with our flourishing. This came up in something I was reading this last week. Uh, someone compared the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our lives to Jesus washing the, the feet of the disciples. And the idea was this. Uh, when you washed the feet of someone back in that time, they had traveled all day, and the dirtiest part of their body was their feet. And it was disgusting, and it's usually what the lowest of the low did, the servants or the slaves. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. It clearly makes them uncomfortable. Like the one guy's like, whoa, why don't you just give me a bath while you're at it? It's an awkward kind of joke, I think. And Jesus is like, no, I'm making a point. I'm here to serve you. I'll clean up the dirtiest part of you. And I wonder if that's not a bad analogy for what happens too when the Holy Spirit is poured into our lives. What's the dirtiest part of my life? My heart and my soul. 
Holy Spirit cleans that up so that I can flourish. All right, number nine, the Holy Spirit equips us. I believe the Holy Spirit equips us in two ways. First of all, natural gifts. Exodus 31.3 says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. The Spirit of God gives you expertise in all kinds of crafts. And then there's spiritual gifts, and there's a lot of different passages for this. And by the time you go through this list, you have a remarkably varied list of things that the Bible says the Holy Spirit gifts people to do. Now, I'm actually going to read through this. The words are going to be small on screen because there's a lot of them. But I think it's important that we remember that in our lives, the Holy Spirit is at work gifting us. And if we're not clear about what all the Bible says, I think we can feel like we've been overlooked but I suspect you'll see by the end of this list that you have not. So here we go. Prophecy, boldly proclaiming God's mind and purpose. Serving, a wide variety of ministries that make the dust fly. Teaching, that is simply explaining God's truth. Working, it's bringing energy to a project. Exhortation, which has to do with motivational skills and encouragement. Giving, or joyful sacrificial generosity. Mercy, intercession. Wisdom, which is simply knowledge rightly applied to situation. Words of wisdom, it's insightful practical knowledge. Words of knowledge, giving insight into doctrine or spiritual truth. Faith, think of it as unwavering commitment. Healing, miraculous interventions for sickness. Miracles, which are supernatural acts. We talked about that last week. Discerning spirits or insight into the spirit of a situation. Tongues, being gifted in human or heavenly languages. Interpretation of tongues, that would be translating said languages. The apostle, which I think is unique to the founding of the church, but we still talk about apostolic style gifts, which is typically church planting. Leadership, once again, church planters and church sustainers. Pastors or shepherds who guide and lead. Evangelists and missionaries who have boldness in sharing the gospel. Helps, which is simply helping or serving the poor and the downtrodden. Administration or oversight. Celibacy, refraining from sex with purity. Marriage, committing to a covenant with integrity. Hospitality, openness and friendliness. Craftsmanship, which is building and construction. The arts, such as music, poetry, prose, and painting. Voluntary poverty, which is foregoing wealth without envy or jealousy. A business sense, that is, you know how to get reward from hard work and investment. Courage is seen in Gideon. Strength is seen in Samson. Architectural engineering, such as planning and constructing. These are all listed in the Bible as things that the Holy Spirit gives and the Holy Spirit empowers. Can I just say, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit is empowering you and has given you Holy Spirit-inspired and empowered gifts. Don't put yourself in second-class heavenly citizenship category. If you look around and you think, oh, I wish I had that gift, or I wish I had that gift, like maybe they're super spiritual because I'm just... I'm good with this, but I'm not good with that. I think if we're not careful, depending on our church backgrounds and history, 
there are certain things which we elevate as this is the sign that the Holy Spirit's at work in you. But if I'm understanding this list correctly and how the Bible explains it, these are all signs that the Holy Spirit's at work in you. If you're flourishing in these areas on behalf of the kingdom and glory is going to God, the Holy Spirit is gifting you and encouraging you and enabling you to do God's work through all of these things. So I would make a couple other notes about gifts. These gifts are different manifestations of the Holy Spirit's creativity in order to build up the church. And I don't know if this will come up later, but I think it's important to remember the Bible over and over says these gifts are given to build, to build, to give God glory, to build his church. They're to point people toward God. There's no formula given in Scripture for gaining gifts. They're gifts. They're given as the Holy Spirit wills. We receive these gifts by grace and by God's good mercy. We don't earn gifts. It wouldn't be a gift. We are given gifts. The gifts are primarily, though not solely, they're primarily meant to build up, encourage, and comfort the church. Uh, and I would add, our last point today will have to do with how the Holy Spirit enables us to do evangelism. So I said the fruit was relational. I think the gifts are intended to build relationships. So once again, baptized into Christ, Holy Spirit gives us gifts. We use them to glorify God. Baptized into church community, these gifts are for church community also. These gifts are powerful. Because of that, they must be exercised in orderly and understandable ways, ways that honor others above ourselves. They must be used in the context of love, lest our expression or use of these good gifts get all muddled up and cause others to stumble. Every attempt should be made to use these gifts with humility and service so that we share the desire of Jesus, and that is that God increases and we decrease. The Holy Spirit is always testifying of Christ, always seeking to focus believers on Jesus, not themselves, their gifts, or their experiences. So let me just make this note. The Bible is clear um, that we seek and pursue the Holy Spirit just like we follow after Christ. We pray for the good gifts of the Holy Spirit to be given to us, and then we trust that God in his wisdom gives us the gifts he desires for us to have. Right? So I think this ought to be a, an active part of our walk with God, is to be praying, Lord, if, if there is more that I need, um, give it to me. Help me to understand how to use it well. But I would just say this. If there's ever a situation where the person exercising the gifts or the gift that is exercised is what is in the spotlight instead of the God who gave it, that something is out of order. They're never meant to point to us. They're never meant to simply point to power. They are always meant to point to Jesus. Part of what we get to wrestle with, and, and any of the gifts on this list, by the way, um, we, like Paul says, there's this war that goes on inside of us of the kind of people we know God wants us to be and that we desire to be, and then this fleshly side on this side of heaven that's constantly going, why don't you be like this? So part of the struggle with this, as always, is what does it look like to exercise the good gifts God gives us such that he increases and I decrease. His glory shines, not my glory. People's eyes are drawn to Christ, not to me. 
And I, I think, once again, the Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. That's why we keep praying for the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Number 10, the Holy Spirit is creative and innovative. So the Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom and ability to learn to use his good gifts appropriately and contextually in new situations, culture to culture, person to person, season to season. I'm going to go with Luke 5, that new wine needs new wineskins. So I've noticed, I've not done a lot of world traveling. Uh, outside the United States and Canada, I've been to Jamaica and Costa Rica. But even in just those experiences, watching how different church services are in each of those places, it, that's one reason I encourage traveling into other cultures to see what God is doing there, because you'll find it's remarkable. Uh, what is moving and powerful one place is not what's moving and powerful in another place. and It doesn't make one good and the other one bad. It's just the Holy Spirit is creative and innovative. The Holy Spirit knows his audience, and he knows what they need. You can see this generationally, I think, even in the United States. So there's geographics. There's ge geographics. Is that a word? There's geographical things. There's generations. There's um, eras. Um, another practical example, I remember reading a number of years ago where Billy Graham, his crusades were amazing. And then as he got older, he's like, okay, I think the time of my crusades might be passed. It's time to take a different approach. Okay. New wine, new wineskins. The Holy Spirit's creative and innovative. So this is where I would encourage you um, to read widely and see what's happening in the church around the world. It's wonderful to see um, how God is moving in different places, and often it's very different, and it's eye-opening because it kind of rounds out the wonder of how God reveals himself to his people and works in them. And if you get chances to travel, it's a, another great way to simply get to experience the creativity and innovation of the Holy Spirit. Number 11, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and connects us to Jesus. So Jesus says in John 16, 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. So if in your life the offense of your sin has been made clear to you, that's the Holy Spirit at work at you. If the foolishness of that sin has been made clear to you, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. If you're beginning to realize, oh, if I continue down this path, it's going to lead me toward death, and the consequences become clear to you, that's the Holy Spirit at work at you. If then you are convinced of your guilt and you are convicted, and you get this godly sorrow that leads you to repentance, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. So to see our sin, a desire God's righteousness and salvation through Christ, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that happens is we get the privilege of doing what the Bible calls planting seeds and watering. So to a, a group of people where many, if not most of them, were farmers in some fashion. So it's a good analogy for them. We get to plant the seed. This is the truth of the word of God in people's lives. And we even get to water it. I think that has to do with probably our, our attitude, our presence, our ongoing conversations. But who provides the seed? God does. And then the Bible is clear, who brings the harvest? God does. So one of our callings 
is to go into the world and spread the good news of the gospel to plant seeds in the hearts and minds of people. And then, uh, once again, I think the watering probably has to do with how we nurture the people to whom we have given the truth of God's word, our attitudes, our presence, our relationship, that type of thing. But God provides the seed, and God brings the harvest. So I just want to note something about this as well. If it is God who brings the harvest, then we need to be very careful about looking at people where a tremendous harvest follows their ministry and assume they must be super spiritual people and then look at other people where there's not a lot of harvest after their ministry and assume that they're not. Let me explain what I mean by this. I've, I've read plenty of accounts of missionaries who will labor in mission fields for 30 years faithfully with no converts to Jesus. And then before they die, they get one. And then I know plenty of other stories of people who they minister. Billy Graham's a great example. And thousands of people come to Christ. Are we willing to say that the missionary of 30 years was somehow less invested in the kingdom and less surrendered to Christ than Billy Graham was? I'm not willing to say that. Because who brings the harvest? Not a trick question. God does. The Holy Spirit, right? They bring the harvest. Now, it might be that some people are just really good at planting seeds and watering. But that's a gift from whom? Okay, good. We're, we're, we're in the pattern. Right? So even that's not about them. They were gifted. Go back to that list. Some people have a gift of evangelism. They're simply better at doing it. But not because... They're amazing. It's because the Holy Spirit has decided in this person, I will do a work of evangelism in a unique way to the world. Doesn't elevate them. Doesn't de-elevate. Anybody else? It's, it's what the Holy Spirit has done in people. So what are we called to do? We're called to be faithful. We're called to surrender our lives to Christ, to fill ourselves with his word, to pray for the well, first of all, to thank the Holy Spirit for being present and working in our lives, because that's happening whether we pray for it or not. But then we're praying, if there's more that I can experience, more that you want me to do, Lord, form me and move me and make me ready, because I just want to serve you. But, and if we're doing that and we're faithful, we let God take care of the harvest. We're just faithful with planting and watering with the gifts that God has given us. Does that make sense? Number 12, the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness. There's at least six stories in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit fills people and they speak with power about Jesus and his kingdom. So the Holy Spirit is the church's greatest ally in its evangelizing effort. Without the help and the filling of the Spirit, the evangelistic task of the church will fail. Now, I think evangelism can take a lot of forms. But the reality is, if we want to speak with power, that power will not be power on our own. It will be the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And I think it's important to remember that as we engage with other Christians and with those who are far from Christ, as, as we want to engage and say words that have power in their lives, 
I think we can often think, oh, it's up to me. I've got to say it just right. That's not to suggest that you don't study and practice, right? Um, um, steward your gifts. But we can be worried and say, I've got to say it just right. We can walk away going, oh, I should have said that thing differently. And then if something doesn't happen, we're like, oh, it was, what did I do wrong? Let's take a deep breath. Do we serve a big God? Yeah. Okay. Is it possible for the Holy Spirit to be strong in our weakness? Yeah, yeah. I think it lets us relax. It doesn't make us lazy. It doesn't make us stop preparing because the Bible talks a lot about stewarding the gifts God gave us. Work to steward it, sure. But at the end of the day, let me, newsflash, we're not perfect. We're not going to do things perfectly. But what we do is we just pray, oh, dear God, um, increase <laughs> while I decrease. Thank you that you are strong in my weakness. I'm grateful that your Holy Spirit will do a work. So God, give me wisdom. Do I need to go back and revisit something? I want the wisdom to know if I need to do that. Can I have a better conversation or be present better next time? Give me the wisdom to understand that. But right now, I just want to thank you that you're a big God and that you are faithful and that you are present and the harvest is up to you. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.